Welcome to The Link, the podcast that links the past to the present for those who went to high school in the 1980s. It is a perfect time to reflect and to take stock and to think about really fun parts of our past, but also some challenges. I get to see and hear all your amazing faces and a blast from the past, which is always super exciting, seeing who we were then, who we are now. We really didn't know what was going on in each other's lives very much. And so finding out the real scoop is incredibly rewarding. Yes, that's right. We're back on the link. This is producer David Yaz from pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. More importantly, I need to introduce the hosts of the link. It is, as usual, Farah Pandith, Diane Donovan, and Meredith Zinner, in, all in their virtual studios. And how is everyone doing? Farah, how are you? I'm great. Thank you. How are you? Um, yeah, I'm okay. Diana, good? I'm doing great. All yeah. systems go? Happy to happy to be doing another episode. How did you guys like the new intro there? Did you like the, the intro? I loved it. It was okay. great. I, oh, hate, cool. I hated myself on it, but that not that normal? <laughs> yes. yes. That yes, sounded like... No, you didn't. It was no, great. You sounded great. Profound. The real scoop. The funny thing is we're not getting the real scoop from anyone. We're just talking about... We're getting like, some scoops. The real scoop. I like it. There's a scoop of chocolate, scoop of vanilla. There's a couple scoops in there. All right. I turn it over to Meredith, who has the honor of introducing our special guest for this episode. Meredith. Yes. I have the very, very great honor of... I'm going to actually tell you a little background first rather and then tell you who it is okay Okay. ready so after graduating brown with a degree in classical archaeology she joined the peace corps and was sent to an island in the federal states of micronesia in the pacific do we even know where that is nobody could find it on a map i i can't wait so she was planning on returning after two years teaching english in the island's high school where she met and fell in love with an Australian guy who was living and working on the island. Wow. She thought she was only going to be there for a couple of years, but she followed him back to Australia. And 28 years later, she's still there, married to this fantastic Australian with two kids living in Cairns, Queensland, right next to the amazing Great Barrier Reef, which I'm so jealous of. So when she first arrived, she continued working as an EFL teacher and school administrator. But after traveling around all parts of that amazing country and seeing the stunning Aboriginal rock art sites, she decided to return to archaeology. She did her PhD researching and recording rock art sites in limestone caves and has recently been working with Aboriginal communities and national parks to document and help protect vulnerable Aboriginal cultural heritage. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nikki Wynn. Thank you. Welcome, Nikki. Welcome, How Nikki. awesome is that? Come on. Yeah, it sounds sounds more exotic than that. <laughs> so it's pretty exotic. exotic. It's pretty exotic. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. We're so delighted that you're joining us from Australia and a few our, time zones away. Yeah, a few just a couple. Yeah. Just a couple. <laughs> How is it over there? How does it feel? You're in the middle of what? What season are we in? We're in the middle of summer, the end of summer. So exactly opposite to you guys. We're in the wet season now. So the the monsoonal rain season. So it's been very, today is sunny, but it's been very wet the last couple of weeks. Flooding rain. We have a cyclone sitting just 200 kilometers off the coast. 
category two at the moment, just spinning around there, but it's going to move away. Oh, so this time, I hope it moves yeah. in during the podcast. We can get live. <laughs> so you, you must, you must be pretty well versed on the metric system by now because. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you'll find I'm jumbled. My vocabulary. Everything no, that's, I'm just teasing. And how old are your kids? They're 20 and 18. So my daughter, Lilia, is in her final year of university. And Austin is 18 and he's in his second year. So, and the calendar year is the school year. So just started their fourth and second year of, of university hmm. away. They're both away. So I have an empty house, which is sad. So we should talk <laughs> about empty nester syndrome. But... After we go through some other things. <laughs> I want to know what rock art is. I'm thinking that it's like cave paintings, but yeah, I don't... No, it's what, yeah, it's what oh. people over in America and Europe call cave painting. So it's placed on the rock. So, and it can be engravings. It can be using paint. It can be using dry things like pieces of charcoal just mm -hmm. to draw on or pieces of ochre. So it's all different sorts of techniques, but yeah, it's any art or symbols put onto a rock wall, rock shelters. What, kind of what are some common themes that appear on the wall that are most surprising? Because I know that they, yeah. they, they discovered, you know, the pigs recently in some, yeah. like, yeah, the, you tell me more? That's, I think it's all fascinating. So that's in Indonesia, just near us. That was the oldest dated figurative motif so it's something that looks like an animal yeah. so they dated that and that's over forty thousand years old that's older than any of the stuff that's been dated in europe mm -hmm. so you know you hear about lasco and chauvet the the caves in europe that have the beautiful bison and all those cool animals but in indonesia they've just dated last year i think it was the oldest figurative rock art in the world which was over forty thousand years how old are so, the ones in lasco uh they're thirty five thousand years ago okay they're younger. What about in Australia? The the work that so, you're doing, how old is that stuff? Yeah. So um, actually last week they published in widely published that they have found the oldest or dated the oldest motif in Australia now, which was a kangaroo, uh, just 15,000 years ago. How many? 15? So yeah, 17,000 years ago. Wow. So you're talking years before the pyramids. You know, you're, you're way back. There was rock art that was done here before that but it doesn't exist anymore you can't see it anymore it's not visible because of weathering because of age or whatever so this is actually a kangaroo that you can see on the wall they used a new technique of dating because dating rock art is very very difficult they used a new technique but they got seventeen thousand years ago so that's at the moment and that was literally last week they published that so that is the so rock exciting yeah, it's really, it's, it's pushing back the boundaries all the time. It's a really exciting field at the moment. So Nikki, I mean, I know that you've been asked this question a thousand times, but, but I am very curious on the genesis of how this happened to you. How did you decide <laughs> to, I mean, there are a million directions you can go with archaeology or even you're also somebody who has always loved ancient civilizations and... Yeah. Why and how? How did this happen? This is my mother. This is blame my mother. So when <laughs> and blame Miss Whaley too, Latin class. But when I was growing up, we used to go over because you know Mum is Welsh, she's British. So we used to go over every summer to to Wales and Britain and go and look at castles, ruined castles, stone circles. Mum has a love of this stuff. So from the time I was like 
seven, eight, nine, I'd be like crawling over ruins and, you know, visiting stone circles in the middle of nowhere. And I just got this love of really ancient civilizations and was fascinated by them. And then, of course, Miss Bailey's Latin class gave me a love of Latin and Mr. Davies later on. And so when I went to college, when Diana and I went to college together, I continued on with classics, with Latin. I picked up hieroglyphics when I was at Brown. I did hieroglyphics for a couple of years. In hieroglyphics? Yes. Did you ever know how to read them? Yeah, you do a degree. There was a whole, wasn't there a whole Egyptology department? I remember having friends who took Egyptology and they all went to Egypt and they went down the Nile and they did these incredible things with this professor. That was me. I did that. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's an Egyptology apartment at Brown and that of course, just, you know, doing that and doing classics. And I've always loved the archeology span side of it, which is not reading it in books. It's getting out on site or holding an object in your hand. It's very physical. And that's always appealed to me more. So I did the classical archeology span at Brown. And then there's not much career path you could have a tv show (laughs) (laughs) it's like so i love road show so i I am i am gonna say that nikki's answering this question in a very professional way but i don't buy it and she's missing (laughs) out on a really important element of this Uh story and i think you need to uh, listen i mean the link is here for a reason what happened to crimson yeah, and there's a reason why. So, Nikki, let's just ask this question a different way. So, was there like a birthday party in the early 80s that maybe you and Kathy Lapey and somebody else, Faye perhaps, all did oh, together? Yeah. And did you maybe go see a movie? What movie could that have yeah. been, do you think? That would be Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Fell in love with Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. Sarah would know, saw it 30 yeah. times. <laughs> At least what, thirty. Nikki has seen it at least thirty times. Well, just think say. if it if it had been Flashdance, we would be having a whole <laughs> other conversation. <laughs> yeah. However, it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders fell in love with that. I don't know why. Well, oh, come on, how could you not? <laughs> We're all just yeah. like just going under on the big rock. And so, Farah, yeah. you remember this? This is oh, a vivid memory of oh, yours. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I, th- th- this is the Nikki. Nikki. <laughs> I'm teasing her because I know I know too much, but but I know but I think it's really interesting that that it's both sort of pop culture, but also what she learned at Milton and also on her summer vacations, which I knew anyway. And and Diana, you should know that I came very close to going on one of those trips to Egypt with Nikki. I think it was sophomore year, junior year, Nikki in college. Yep. And yeah, I had to pull out at the last moment. Yeah. And wow. But, writing it. But oh, of course, I absolutely. I mean, yeah. are you kidding me? I, I I love I love all this stuff. But but Nikki, one of the things I remember you telling me early on as you began your career and in archaeology, sort of in earnest while you were in Australia, you know, the experience of going into some of these caves that had not been, I mean, that no one had gone into in a really long time. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I done most of my work in northern Australia and up here is once you get off the coast it's empty in the middle there are no very few people who live in there so there's just vast you know areas of undiscovered or unlooked at archaeologically places to go so when we go I go out with the traditional owners I go out with the aboriginal people 
And we literally try and find new sites. That's what we're doing. We're relocating some that people have known about in the past, but have forgotten about or haven't been to in you know, 50 years. And some have never been seen by anyone who's alive at the moment. So, yes. Yeah, so Are they into- overnight expeditions? Yeah, they, some of them, I've been helicoptered into places and left and you bring in your camping gear and you stay for a week plus and then the helicopter says, oh, I'll come back in, you know, a week's time and pick you up. Some are a little bit closer that you can camp in a spot and go out on day trips from a base camp kind of thing where you drive to. But a lot of it is very remote. It's a lot of hiking into places, crawling around caves. So we're relocating or finding for the first time sites because a lot of it has just not been looked at ever what does relocating um, mean you mean they may even know in the past that there was a site in that particular you know sandstone outcrop no one has been there because what happened in this part of australia is when we when the europeans arrived they moved aboriginal people off of their traditional lands of course and they locked them up in pastoral stations in large cattle stations that have been there's been no access for 100 plus years so there's in generational memory in the communities people know well we know that there's a site because my grandmother told me about it over in that sandstone outcrop over there but no one's been there for since she was a child kind of thing so we're literally get driving into these places you know getting out of the the car everybody scatters you're hiking around and then they'll go it's here (laughs) we all run over and and you walk into these sites and a lot of this part of Australia was under conflict. There was a lot of frontier violence between the, the European settlers and the Aboriginal people. So a lot of them were pushed out quite quickly. So you walk into these sites and it's like someone just walked out yesterday. And it would be that the grinding stones are still sitting in the grinding grooves. There's still ochre in the rubbing areas. There's still sewing tools all over the the shelter floor and the rock art is crisp and clean and it's yeah you walk in you feel the hair sort of rise on the back of your neck because you you know that people haven't been here for at least a hundred years at least could be a lot more and in some places I'm probably the first non-aboriginal person to go in and for to see the traditional owners to see the aboriginal people how they are just so excited and moved by being back in these sites that they haven't seen it's it's pretty amazing experience. So. Nikki, how do you document this? So if you're going in and you want to be obviously sensitive to the to the cultures that came before the European, I mean, like how how do you make? I mean, I don't want to call them sacred sites, but in some ways it is a yeah. sacred experience, right? So yeah. how do you how do you do that? How do you preserve that dignity? You know, what's the method? How do you do that? Yeah. So what did you do? Is you you ask it's all what the traditional owners, what all the Aboriginal people want to do. So I am there as a partner, as a helper, as somebody, you know, who has a certain skill set and they have, but they have control as they should about what happens in the sites, how they're documented, who gets to know about them, that kind of thing. So for example, like in my thesis for my PhD, I did we documented 49 sites in limestone caves. And then they asked me not to release that information in my thesis. So there's a whole 150 page part of my thesis that's redacted Mm. that only the, the Aboriginal community themselves has access to, and they control who, who 
sees it. I don't publish on it. You know, that's, I just follow their wishes. So, and there are sites that are men's sites and women's sites that have situation. So sometimes the traditional owners are happy for me to go into men's sites with them, but I have to ask permission and make sure. Sometimes when I go into women's sites, they, if they're men from the Aboriginal community, they don't come into the site with me. What are the differences between those two? Men's business and women's business in Aboriginal culture, this is a very broad overview, but is is called men's business and women's business. They have very sort of separation of cultural roles so and it varied community to community but so there are things that men's initiation ceremonies women weren't allowed in those sites there's women's medical medicine plant sites traditional medicine or birthing sites there's some amazing women's birthing sites where they all would go into a certain cave and you know have their have their babies and then they would have certain art on the wall that corresponds to those sites so it's very, it's, you have to really be sensitive to what the Aboriginal people want. So I just work for them. That's, I'm there. I'll do what they tell me. You know, I publish what they tell me. I don't publish what they tell me, you know, that kind of thing. So that's so respectful. It, and I wish the world worked more like that. How, how did that even come to be? Was What is the history there? Was there a, a moment in time where the European settlers or occupiers or whatever you call it decided this, we've got to change this and we need to switch the power structure? Like how did that even? Uh, it's in flux. It's not ideal. So there's a lot of social upheaval in Australia around race, same as in the States, except we are a hundred years later than you guys. This is all like a hundred and hundred and twenty years old. Hmm. So this is very present for these people. This is generational memory. This is their grandparents who were killed. You know, this is massacres that they know of because they lost family members. So this is very raw for a lot of them. And there's a lot of anger and, you know, negotiation now is happening around the world. But there's a lot of things that are still not done the correct way. You know, as you probably heard with Rio Tinto the other day, blowing up a 46,000 year old rock shelter in Western Australia and destroying it for mining. You know, so there's a lot of pressure on sites. There's a lot of social threads that get tied into archaeology over here because you're li- you're working with people who this is their continuous link to their culture this is their culture they're still here they're still alive they're mm-hmm. still wanting to preserve it for their next generations but you have all this sort of social and legislative context around it which makes it tricky it makes it really tricky sometimes well you know as as belloc said to indiana jones indy <laughs> We are merely passing through history. This, this is history. <laughs> oh, yes. really good, James. Dave. Thank you. Did you Google that? We want to know. Did you? No, Google that's my favorite you line. That? You want the theme, you want the theme song again? Okay, carry on. <laughs> that was good, Dave. That was good. So, what language? What is the Aborigines language? called and how do you communicate and and etc yeah it's there's this idea there's this sort of myth that there's a monoculture for aboriginal people that all aboriginal people are the same they all speak the same no they're incredibly diverse 
There's over 500 different languages spoken across Australia. They all have their own different cultural customs, 500 different groups. They all speak their own languages and dialects. So I do everything in English, mm -hmm. but a lot of them do still speak their their traditional languages. And so part of like when we name a site, we I always try and have them choose a name in language for a site, that kind of thing. So it's, uh, Aboriginal culture is very diverse. So mm -hmm. it's it's not this, you know, guy standing on a spear on the rock, you know, the, <laughs> the sort of iconic picture of an Aboriginal person. Incredibly diverse. They live in cities. They live more traditionally, remotely. They live, you know, they're my neighbors here. You know, they're, go, you go to school, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a range of people and, and styles of living and connections to country too. Some people have a lot stronger connection to their traditional lands and other people have been removed from them a long time ago and have lost so they're trying to reconnect with their traditions and things do you so Nikki, oh sorry Meredith please I, I, do you ever work with a translator no because I don't speak English so oh, everybody Everybody speaks English. Nikki, one of the things that has been really fun in our conversations with our classmates has been the connection between an experience at Milton and what they do now or memories that they have or things that influence. And you've already talked about the fact that Latin class and, and, and other things have influenced you. But as you think about it, because you, you were at Milton for a really long time, you were there in the <laughs> lower school also. How do you, as you look back at at our time at Milton, I mean, what, what are things that stand out as, as influential outside of sort of the particular subject that you sort of held on to? And obviously your, your mom, who we did not sort of mm. call out, but for our listeners, she was head of school and she was trained zoologist, correct? Is that right? And yeah. so she comes you know, was an incredible role model for, for so many of us at, at Milton, not only because of her exceptional educational background, but the way in which she helped us think about the world, because she was um, one of these people who sort of was very provocative in the way in which she asked questions and made us think bigger than ourselves, I think. But so you had your mom influencing you, obviously, but, but tell us about, tell us about your, your thoughts on, on that experience. Yeah, well, for me, the best part of Melton was the, the people, the friends, the friendship group. And I mean, I've been very fortunate, as far as I know, to keep really close friends with, you know, a group of women from that class. So I think we were surrounded by a lot of different people with different sort of backgrounds and different life experiences and whatever, but everybody was there trying to, you know, learn the education side of it was great. Being taught to write What's that? Ninth grade English workshop class. It's the five paragraph wow. paper. Yeah. So important. Are you kidding? <laughs> I think that, you know, learning the, how to use a semicolon has been super useful. In <laughs> totally forgot that. Hey, some yeah. of us, some of us wrote for a living. <laughs> yes. I, I actually make my living writing. Yeah. And okay. I, I so thank I, Milton. Yeah. I thought you did too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was really helpful to learn how to write. <laughs> So stuff like that, that's for Milton, was the, the people, the friends, and, you know, some, some of the teachers were phenomenal as well. And it came out with really good education, I, I thought. One of, the, one of the interesting things to think about as you're talking about the navigation of 
some of these issues around race and heritage and honoring the past. I think a lot about the way we learned about the past at at Milton and how Europe-centric it was. Mm. And I'm just curious, I mean, how did that influence your, your, your need to sort of step away from, even though you have sort of this, this Welsh, you know, piece of how, how did you think about sort of the bigger world, you know, because we didn't necessarily learn that. No, no, I think it was through travel. So I caught the travel bug really early. So I used to travel as much as I could either through, so, you know, in college going to Egypt or whatever, did a semester in Rome, you know, Farah, you and I did 10 weeks in India after we graduated. You know, I went to Indonesia before, this was all pre-Peace Corps. And that's why I knew I wanted to go into the Peace Corps because I knew I wanted, to, there was a big world out there that I wanted to see. So that's what spurred that choice. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this. I, I wish that I wish that every American um, young person had a chance to do the Peace Corps and see the, the world in a very different way. I think especially... Nikki, I, I know your sister is still in the States and you have other, you know, you're, you're very closely connected to what's happening here, but it's extremely painful to talk about some of these issues with a population that most of most Americans, as you know, have not stepped beyond the, the region that they grew up in. And so it's very hard to have a conversation about, about some of the forces around identity and history and belonging if you only have one dynamic in your head about yeah. about where you it's come from a very big world so yeah the more exposure you can get to kids to teenage kids especially our young kids i think is ideal but it's hard it's hard so do you miss the states yeah i do i mean i've been here i left 30 years ago so i literally left like two weeks after our fifth year reunion i got on the plane and i left so that's how long i've been so i've been here longer now than i've ever lived in the states i left mm-hmm. the states at 22 you know i left so I've lived over here now. I love the States. I go back as often as I can. You know, Pippa and mom are still there. And of course, I come and see friends. So it's gone now. It's long enough that I don't, I used to really miss it. I used to get homesick, you know, in the first five, 10 years. Now that doesn't happen, but I, I love going back. And I love bringing my kids and they feel comfortable there and have a great time. And so, yeah, I miss it, but not as sort of urgently as I used to. It's getting too long now getting too old i have a question when you guys are going and and seeking out the caves and all this stuff what kind of animals are there yeah so there's lots of kangaroos lots of in the caves themselves are of course bats and spiders and everything you would expect to see in the caves but they're yeah kangaroos they're goannas these big lizards the bird life around here is amazing the cockatoos and the kookaburras and the the parrots are just incredibly diverse Uh, you've got all the kind of weird funky aboriginal not aboriginal australian animals you know like the little echidnas the spiny ant eaters and the platypus that's all up in this area that's where these are from snakes why did it have to be snakes Yes, snakes. <laughs> because one of the things I somebody said they were uh, they were traveling in I think it was Antarctica or someplace, and the animals had not learned to fear humans yet, mm-hmm. and that was so yeah. powerful to me. So yeah, there are no predators here. Yeah, and no, that's no. what I was wondering if if they yeah. they consider humans so a threat or just eagle. like oh, weird skinny lean things. Yeah. Yeah. 
We're definitely in their environment. I mean, I have crocodiles that live in the rivers just here. You know, we're in their environment. You respect <laughs> their territory. Nikki, can I ask a question? So yeah. people are making fun of you for your fascination for Indiana Indiana Jones, which they yeah. should they should not because he is <laughs> He was a hero to me, fictional as he may be. But, you know, he had, uh, you know, the Holy Grail and the Lost Ark. Just what, what has been the most surprising moment for you? Is, the, is there something that, that you kind of consider to be the highlight of your adventures? Yeah, sure. So I was out doing Ph.D. work out in limestone caves, and I was actually by myself one day. The traditional owners couldn't come with me. Because I did field work out there for over four years. So I was going out all the time. And so one day I was out there by myself in this sort of really remote limestone tower. Uh, You have to push your way through brambles to get into some of these sites. And it's hot and whatever. And you're in these limestone caves, which are these like phenomenal geological formations. And I walked in after surveying around the tower. I walked into this shelter, low roof. But it had all over every surface were these cup rolls, which are these engraved cup marks. They're like little pits everywhere. Mm-hmm. So engravings that take a long time to do each one. And they were smothered with this thing. And nobody had known where this site was before. So I was finding it for the first time. I was oh my on my own. And I walked in and I was like, oh, my God, some, you know, this was a, obviously a hugely important site to them that they had put over every surface, every boulder, every vertical part of the wall, the ceilings. There were some painted motifs as well, painted stars and things on it. And I walked in and I was just like, oh, my God, <laughs> it was my well of souls moment. Yeah. So what so what yeah. do you do then? You take all kind of pictures and uh, yeah. shout it Take from the pictures, rooftops count each single one oh my god uh, dump them all you know just take measurements of the actual shelter the cave how big it is how wide it is yeah just we digitally that's what surveying is is digitally recording everything documenting everything so that now there's a record of that so in well, what did they years, turn out to be what yeah we don't know we don't, don't know, know. so we why they made these sort of cup marks Mm -hmm. it's one actually one of the oldest types of symbols anywhere in the globe people around the world made these things very very early on so they're like these little shallow pits they're about five centimeters across and you could tell they were really old because they were covered with a sort of varnish that they get out here over time like a patina develops over them and they were super old and they were just everywhere oh my god yeah how does it feel to see things knowing that you're one of the very few people who gets it's, to experience and see that. I mean, that, yeah, that's why I do that and helping the traditional owners reconnect, you know, find, you know, get them back in charge of their own heritage. But yeah, I mean, it's amazing to sit in a rock shelter and look at the same view that Aboriginal people have looked at for 30, 40, 50,000 years, you know, and to feel that sort of connection through time. Is that's why I love archaeology. That's that's what has always fascinated me. About I'm gonna it, take so. the next plane. Just stay with me. Just <laughs> yeah. you know. I say I would like. I don't like the sun, but I love people and animals. She wants to see the kangaroos. Yes, I think that's what it is. And the co- yeah, yeah. All right, we are up against the clock a little bit here, kids. Is it okay? Mm-hmm. Do I have your permission to move on? Yes, let's do let's it. Move yes. on. Fantastic stuff, Nikki, of course. Oh, wait, I almost forgot. Nikki, if people want to learn more about what you do, is there a place they can go on the internet or whatnot? Uh, Google. 
Okay. <laughs> you can read my thesis if you want. It's very dry. Nikki no, wins. it's not. Nikki I, wins I, thesis. I have read her thesis. It is not dry. It is actually unbelievably interesting. I, yeah, I we really want to read it. Yeah, well, Do we you mention it. the Raiders of the Lost Ark anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> Several footnotes. Can I call you Indy? I might call you Indy. <laughs> Hi, this is David Yaz, producer of The Link Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we hope you consider supporting us with a contribution through Patreon. The Link is a labor of love for us, but there are production costs attached to creating a quality show. And you can help us by visiting patreon.com slash thelinkpodcast. We have some cool ways of thanking you for your support, including t-shirts, mugs, and shout-outs on the show. You can do us a solid for as little as $5 a month, and we will continue to bring you great conversations that foster the bonds of our high school class and beyond. Once again, please visit patreon.com slash the link podcast. Now, back to the show. We are up to the portion of the show we call Do You Remember, where I play random clips or carefully selected clips, one of those from the 80s. And it will stir some memories, and everyone is invited to make their comments, their reflections. Wise-ass comments uh, are welcome, of course, mainly for me. All right, let's go to the first clip. John Zarella is at the Kennedy Space Center on the live line now. John, you could, I'm sure, see it from your vantage point, even nine miles down. Uh, Describe the scene there. Tom, it was just uh, a situation where everything looked fine. And then all of a sudden, it, it, it looked like a giant fireworks display overhead. The, the weather and the sky being so clear, you could, of course, see it for miles and miles. Everyone was just sort of standing around as if things were going normally. But, of course, uh, when I saw sort of a fireworks display, I said, this is not right. It's, it's here now at, at the Kennedy Space Center. Everybody's just stunned. They're in shock, just bewilderment. So we get the point. And we all remember the disaster of the, the Challenger in 1986. So, so I remember where I, I, this is fitting, but, and I don't mean to monopolize here. I'll turn it over to you guys. I was in the link when I heard about the, the appropriate to this podcast, the, the woman working, there were two women that worked in the link. I remember, and it was the younger of the two. I think I passed by and she said, did you hear what happened? And I said, no. And she told me, what do you guys remember? Farah, what do you remember? I, I mean, I, I just remember being unbelievably sad and horrified. And I don't remember where I was, to be honest with you. We were in school, obviously. It was the middle of the school day. So, but I don't have a particular memory of where I was or how I heard the news. Yeah. Yeah. Diana, what do you remember? So I don't actually remember where I was when I heard it, but what I remember most about this is that one of our classmates, Eliza Byard, who we talked to last week, wrote an incredibly moving poem about this. Really? And I remember, and what I remember most is her reading it in our creative writing class. And it was just, it had just happened and it was, she was processing it, you know, it was a couple of days later and that's what I remember most. I, I definitely don't remember where I was. And Meredith, it was terrible. It was, it was yeah. terrible. I, I don't remember any of it. I, I, I first I thought it was. Is would this is this, is this the first you're hearing about it? Wait, what? <laughs> right, Nikki. How about you? Yeah, I remember exactly. I was. We had just gotten salads at the salad bar. Faye and I in the lunchroom. You know, down. You know, at Milton and we were sitting at a table and somebody said oh my god it just blew up and I remember distinctly sitting in at the lunchroom table with Faye mm. and eating salad why I remember that that was a pretty I, good I, salad bar I'd yeah, like to give a shout out to the salad bar <laughs> the Deca salad bar was pretty good yeah yeah 
Yeah, it was, it was like back then the space program was a much bigger deal than it is now, right? I mean, the Mars. Hello, like, we just Mars arrived excursion. on Mars. What okay, are you talking all right, about? I'm sorry, before, <laughs> it, yeah, how about, um, non, non, I'm talking about non-Mars efforts. It, it, I mean, <laughs> you can't just say excluding Mars. Well, whatever. Okay. So and what about Space Force, which is really a dynamic and important right. component now, of now, our defense posture? Now you're making my point for me with your... With your beloved Farah sarcasm. Has anyone seen that there's a documentary series that came out just last year on the Challenger disaster? Has anybody seen it? I recommend it. No. It it it's there was not to say it was this colossal like we should have known, but there are a lot of people who say we should have known. So let's move on to something happier, right? Yeah, let's okay. see a good idea. Yes. This was one of his first appearances on the Tonight Show. I think you'll recognize who this is, of course. I'm moving out of my house. Yeah, but it's not because it's a it's a it's a ghost in my house. That's why I'm moving. I'm leaving because an old Jewish man died in my house. Yeah, it's very unnerving. You'd be in the house here, move. <laughs> and he continues on about this Jewish guy hunting himself. But of course, he Eddie... looks so young. He looks so oh, young. Beautiful. Oh my god. Well, that's of course Eddie Murphy when he was still on. It was I remember on the opening of that clip. Johnny says he's got a new movie coming out called Trading Places, which really made me feel old. Like, oh my god, oh my there gosh. was a time when that was new. So it's just interesting. He's one of the celebrities that we can we can. There's a there's a you know the, as far as the link goes. There's an '80s version and there's a now version, and there's so much time in between. But he kind of hasn't changed that much. He's got a movie coming out, the the sequel to Coming to America. No, but there's something there's something more more relevant actually, which is which is interesting. I mean, that movie is funny and it's a comedy, but there's an underlying message about society and race, which when you look at from the 1980s, you know, we didn't talk about it. I mean. We saw the movie, we laughed, it was entertaining, but we didn't dissect the issues that they were trying to explore there in any way, any real way as a society. What you talking well, about? That's the great thing about comedy. I feel like, you know, comics like Eddie Murphy were able to address so much. I mean, we had those records, we had a bunch of his records and we would listen to them and they were really, really kind of groundbreaking and made you laugh at things because we... There, he addressed topics that weren't really being addressed in a way that you laughed because it made you very uncomfortable. For sure. You know, I mean, the original Coming to America had, in, in its planning stages, had an all-black cast, which was, which was completely unheard of in mainstream Hollywood. They actually had to add Louis Anderson, the big, fat, white comedian, to the cast because they were like, we got to have at least white, one white person in here. But anyway, any other thoughts? Nikki, were you a, an Eddie fan? Yeah, I actually saw him live when we were in college in Providence. So I went to see him. Oh, my God, he was so funny. It was yeah. so funny. His, that material from back then about the ice cream man and about his Aunt Bunny falling down the steps, it, all of it holds up great. <laughs> With one exception, the bit he does about gay people does not hold up so great. It does not hold up so great. So, kids, when you go back, uh, skip that part about Mr. T. You'll know it when you see it. Okay, we'll do one more news report from CBS from November 7th, 1985. Live Aid on Saturday at a non-stop concert with a potential world audience of one billion viewers. The world's first transatlantic rock concert cum telethon is just over a day away. 
42 of the world's hottest rock groups donating their pricey services to raise millions for African famine victims. It is the biggest, most complicated broadcast in history. 16 hours of live television from two different locations separated by an ocean. Potentially, we we've, can reach 85% of the world's... So, of course, we're talking about Live Aid, which was in London's Wembley Stadium and... In Philadelphia, right at RFK Stadium. Memories about this, anybody? Anybody want to jump yeah. in? Go ahead, Meredith. I finally can say a memory. Okay. I finally remember something. I it was our junior year, and I was in London doing this. Oh crap! I can't remember the name. The National Youth Theatre of Great Britain. So it was two years. I oh, know it wasn't. It was a couple of weeks, and people there went and saw it, but the rest of us stayed and we watched it on the television and it was huge and it was amazing. So I, you know, and my love for David Bowie was large even then. Yeah. And it was really interesting whenever you look back at, at least when I look back, cause I'm a photographer now, you see people taking pictures and then forwarding the film, taking yeah. a picture, forwarding <laughs> the film. I, I find that rather quaint. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go to Nikki. You remember anything from Live Aid? I remember watching the concert footage and I remember all of the 80s of lamenting that I could not get my hair to do what hair should do. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go out uh, and buy dippity-doo? I had dippity-doo. <laughs> oh, you did. Okay, good. <laughs> I do not have the proper 80s hair, and that was that was a source of <laughs> trauma. A lot of angst. <laughs> and now it seems like now you're you're probably happy with it now that straight yeah. hair is okay. <laughs> the, the spiral perms. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I had, I don't remember even watching it. I don't know why I didn't watch it. I wish I had watched it in the moment because now you see, you know, if you guys, I'm sure you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody and yes. the, the climactic scene. And if I had known, you know, there are a lot of peop people I would have seen in concert that I didn't. And, you know, Freddie's gone, of course, and David Bowie's gone. And so it's kind of sad to look back on that. But any other thoughts, Meredith, Far? I mean, Diana? I think <laughs> I was way too much of a dork to have been aware of Live Aid. Honestly, I remember it kind of realizing how great it was later. And again, like I saw yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody and thought like, wow, really? That was in the 80s? Like, why was I listening to Cyndi Lauper or... <laughs> Like, yeah. great, and wearing like a little headband, you know, like a braided <laughs> like headband around my head. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll take one minute to do one more. This is a trailer of a movie that was very big in the eighties. For nearly three thousand years, man has searched for the lost ark of the covenant. The Bible speaks of the ark leveling mountains and laying waste to entire regions. Not something to be taken lightly. No one knows its secrets. Jones, do you realize what the Ark is? It's a transmitter. It's a radio for speaking. So, yes, I'm just picking on Nikki, but... Um, <laughs> That's I, but, a good I, one to end with. It's a great That's one to great. end with. Are you kidding? Yeah. Not problem. No, still... still You're re-inspiring her. She's going to do it all over again. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It'll inspire us. It's a great movie. Okay poster on my wall in, in high school <laughs> you know, well it, it i mean not only was it the the best movie to date about archaeology but it, it kind of redefined the action movie and it it was the hero it was the hero we all needed but there actually is a movie out 
now, or has only been out a short while about archaeology. Called, what is it called? The Dig? The dig. Nick, yeah. Yeah, the dig on, yeah, you guys should watch it. It's it's pretty interesting. So I watched it the other day. I don't know anything about that time period in, in England, but it's interesting. So I recommend it. Is that Liam Neeson or Ray Fiennes? I get them mixed up. It's Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes yeah. plays. And what time period is it? It's set pre-World War II, just on the eve of World War II, but they're digging up. I won't spoil it if you want to watch it, but they're digging up something in this woman's backyard, this large mound that's in this woman's backyard, and they find something quite phenomenal, which is a real, it's based on real life. So yeah. what happened? And then there's well, a question I- as to whether the aging guy has the right to it or whatever. And it's, it's, it's quite good. So you guys should see it. Sorry, Fire. I was going to, I was, no, I was going to ask Nikki during the, during the course of our a formal interview with her about the changes with sort of the satellite technology and what's happening with underwater archaeology. But we're going to have to save that for Nikki part two because there's a lot. <laughs> I totally <laughs> want to know about that. It's a lot to unpack. Yes, Meredith, there is. I think we need to bring her back. We yeah. can and we will. The Dig, by the way, on Netflix. Netflix, not not a sponsor of the show. <laughs> you never know that, though, for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, oh, wait, I said, I said Netflix. We're near the end of the program, but we subject every guest to answer Meredith's most important question. So, yes. Meredith, and then we thank will you. discuss. Take it away, please. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, David. So, my question is, if you, your high school self, mm-hmm. What would you tell her now? That's the first part. And then the second part is, how would your high school self view you now? What would I tell her now? I tell her not to worry, not to stress. <laughs> It'll work out. You know, the, the path in life will be weird and winding, but that's cool. That's part of the fun of it. So just to, to chill was a little bit... We were very, I was very worried about, you know, the, what to do, because I knew I didn't fit in the kind of normal career path I knew already at, at high school. So just, just tell myself, relax, it'll work out. And I think my high school self probably would have yeah, said, okay, you made some good choices. You ended up somewhere interesting. So yeah, I think she would be pleased. I hope. Yeah, I think she'd be still freaking impressed. Yeah, she would. Like, I don't, I'm really, I mean, I, I think it's remarkable what you've done and what you've gotten to see and people you've helped and history. Like you have actually witnessed history in ways that none of us have. We history. are merely yes. passing through history, but Nikki. <laughs> really passing through history. Yeah. And I love the way that you just sort of embraced where you were at each time to be like, oh, well, this will bring me to my next thing. And this will bring me to my next well, thing. So one so, thing I can say, having many, 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 many years is that she is somebody who has always known what she's interested in and she's pursued it, even though that might not be what everybody else is doing. I mean, ancient languages, I mean, give me a break. That wasn't something that people (laughs) went forward on, but, but that, I mean, I think that speaks volumes for the kind of heart she has and what you, and a lot of courage, I have to, I have to say. So um, we're glad you're doing what you're doing, Nikki, for the planet. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And that 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 is that that is genuine courage and sort of wherewithal that I don't I don't think I had in high school or you didn't, anything. Dave. I definitely didn't. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was it was quite noticeable. Does no, this but, go back to dare to be true? No, but yeah, the, yeah, there, oh God, oh God, here we go. No, 
No, but it was, it was, you followed, a lot of people just followed the path. And I admit it, I just followed the path, you know, get into the best school you can get, get into. And then maybe the best graduate school you can get into or whatever. There was one day that our, our dear friend and classmate Shin Hiroshi walked into the student center and walked over to four of us who were sitting at a table playing cards. And he started laughing and we said, what are you laughing at? And he said, you're all wearing the same shirt. And we looked and we were all wearing the same, like, because we, cause God forbid you look a little different, you know? So, Where is that shirt now? We'd love to see it. It was one of those. Which shirt was it? It was. It was the it was pin, like a button down. Not, not no no. It was just, yeah, button down. Not quite yeah. pinstripes, but those stripes that were Brooks about a, Brothers, maybe. Oh, yeah, God. maybe. Yeah, but but so what I'm saying is to be able to have the the courage and you know gumption to follow what you're really interested in. It's a really good lesson, and I love what you said about how. Just tell your old self to chill out because it's what I tell my son all the time. I tell him every crisis you go through in high school and pretty much in life turns out to be not as big a deal as you thought it was going to be. Yeah, totally. That, I yeah. tell my 53-year-old self that too, by the way. <laughs> just, just, just so you know. The 53-year-old does sometimes need to hear that. Yeah, I, I think it's important. Nikki, we can't thank you enough. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, so this is the portion of the show where I try to close the show and everyone else talks over me. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm actually going to get to do it this time. Thank you for listening to the Link Podcast. If you dig this podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. And we thank you for listening to the Link. Tune in next time. Dave. You're going to edit this part out, right?